Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the commencement ceremonies of the spring class of 2021 graduates of AU. AU, congratulations. So we're grateful for the weeks that you guys have spent with us. I see some of you have are just on pins and needles, excited about tonight, receiving your, your diploma for graduation. But what we want to do first, uh, I first want to uh, just give you a couple of announcements before we get into this. Just let you know some things that are going on real soon. I just put these up here. Uh, July 13th, we're starting a marriage course on Tuesday night here at Lakeview. We can take 15 couples and... If you'd like to be a part of the Alpha, uh, not the Alpha course, the Cherish course, we would love for you to be a part of it. And if you started the course and didn't get to finish, then maybe, th there's one in the back right there, um, that we, we'd love you. We've already got five, I think, people that are signed up, but July 13th, it'll be here uh, at Lakeview. It's kind of a, it's a date night setting. It's really a lot of fun. I want to welcome you and encourage you to do that. Also, tonight's the last night of Beta, uh, pardon me, of Alpha, but... Uh, beta will begin this Sunday morning at 1030, just across the hall in the conference room. We're going to be going through uh, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be using this, not this study guide, it's kind of big, but the study guide, Tim Keller study guide, going through the Gospel of Mark. It's a nine-week study. It is a fabulous study through Mark, and we would love for you, some of you here I know have been a part of it, and, and maybe would like to go through it again, because it's just like good. I've gone through it several times, and there's, it just never gets... Old. So I want to encourage you to do that as, as well. I want to thank the Sigil Creative Group here. Jonah and Rachel have been shooting some video and doing some interviews. Please help them. We really want to help promote Alpha. So your input is really helpful. I know we all kind of get a little camera shy, that type of thing. <laughs> I'm getting some nodding heads. But uh, look, I'm standing up here looking like a real idiot in this thing. But... Um, so, I mean, so, so anyway, we, so anyway, before we go any further, we just want to offer some thanks to the folks that have served uh, week in and week out. So I'd like to recognize right now and ask to come forward all those who have served in Alpha, just to thank them. Here comes the team. Yeah, there he is, Mr. Dan McConnell. Some of the professors, the, some of the extinguished, I mean, this, not the extinguished professors, the distinguished professors from AU. We have a couple that are too old to get up and walk, but we appreciate the, um, them here. There, uh, So thank you all so much. And uh, so what we want to do now is we want to just thank all those who have served as well. And so could we get those guys and gals that have served week in? And week out just to come and be a part of this. Here comes the team. Oh. 
So, so very grateful for all you guys. It just does not happen without your care. And there's a lot of alum servers here that used to sat, sit right there. But, you know, they wanted to do more. So we trusted them a little bit to let them do some <laughs> serving here. Eddie, how many, how many alphas have you cut cakes to precision? You missed the first one because you were a guest at the first. You see, this is what happens to you. You come to Alpha, you end up cutting cakes and all kind of crazy things. This is the 37th Alpha. 37th Alpha. So appreciate you guys so very much. Thank you for serving. Thank you all so much. Thank you. What about you, Frank? What about me? Oh, no. Very kind. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Okay, extinguished professors, you may now be seated. <laughs> you don't have to leave. You, oh, okay. Anyway, those of you who are watching live stream, thank you for, for tuning in tonight. We appreciate Hey, you, I know we've got some, some graduates for, uh, that are, that are going to be watching from Teen Challenge. I think four had perfect attendance. And that's what we want to do now. We want to recognize, um, we want to recognize the graduates of the spring class of 2021. These are recipients of the Summa Come Always Award. So, we, so uh, if the Lakeview Philharmonic Symphony Orchestra would please. So this is an opportunity. If you had what we're calling perfect attendance. So if you came to all 10 weeks, but you missed the weekend, or you came to nine weeks and you made the weekend, we want you to come forward. If you have 10 weeks and the weekend, do not come forward yet. So if you made 10 weeks, but not the weekend, or nine weeks and one of the weekends, you get this amazing Alpha t-shirt. Sweetheart, why don't you come on up here and, uh, oh yeah, come on, come on. It's, I survived 10 weeks. I don't know if they can see that or not, but that's right. Congratulations to the graduates. That's all we have. Live, yes, if you came to live stream, that counts. If you weren't able to be here, come on up. If you had, if, yes, come on. Yes, if you had makeup courses, yes, Sherry, if you made, yes, come on. Yeah, forgive me for not announcing that. If you weren't able to be here, but you watched the class live stream. And those of you who were perfect attendance watching, let us know. Congratulations, Sherry, Patty, Tara, congratulations. That's everyone? Come on, sir, I know you had perfect attendance. Let's give all those graduates a great round of applause. Now, for those of you who had all 10 weeks and made it to one or two of the, of the weekend courses for getting all, all the alpha material we could squeeze into one box, we have for you a box of alphabet cereal.
So if you've got 10 weeks and perfect attendance, come on down. Is there anyone with... Here comes Joey. All right, here comes. Yes, congratulations. Oh, here comes... There, here come the here come the couple. Oh, she, <laughs> here you go, Kathy. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Oh yeah, you get both. Got it. The uh, theory would like to know the expiration date on the alphabet serial. Um, I think it was 1995, but pay no attention to that. That's still edible. Well, thank you all very much. Congratulations to all the graduates. So, you know, actually, you are uh, among an esteemed group of individuals who have graduated from Alpha. Uh, and so I'd like to show you now, just so you can feel even more uh, excited about what you've done in the class of people that you are in, I wanted to show you some of the past graduates of AU. Here's, here's President Abraham Lincoln. And, he, and by the way, you have a questionnaire tonight. We appreciate you filling that in. But this is what Alpha, this is what Alpha, this is what Abraham said on his questionnaire that you guys will be getting tonight. He said, attending the 10 weeks of Alpha was my inspiration to complete the Gettysburg Address. Now, now wouldn't you say it was important for him to do that? Here's, a, here's another president. Maybe you recognize him. He's, he, he decided to take the microphone from me that night. And he wanted the entire class to know this. As much as I love alphabets, I did not inhale them. So, for those of you familiar with that. Oh, here's one. Nick Satan. Nick Saban. The, the National Championship Trophy presented by Alpha. Well, Nick was a graduate of the class. And on his questionnaire, this is what Nick wrote. He wrote, not only am I proud of completing the entire Alpha course, the serial has been a great way of teaching my players to spell. So isn't that amazing? So, and then not only that, it made such an amazing impact on the entire state. The state has now been renamed Alphabama. So you guys, I mean, you should be even more proud of your accomplishments. Uh, but I think one of the greatest, most life-changing graduates, having his life changed more than anyone else, here is um, Frank Enstein. He had perfect attendance October 31st, 1917. Now, you think this man looks bad in week 10. I, folks, if you're watching right now, I just want to encourage you. This is for mature audiences. I want you to cover the, any, your, the eyes of your little children if any of you are squeamish here, 
I'm about to show you the picture. He's been so transformed. I'm about to show you the picture of what he looked like on the first week of Alpha. The transformation from that to this is incredible. So if you're ready, here it is. Oh, jeez. So, so, I mean, you can see the amazing transformation that took place. He even changed his name from Peter David Stein to Frank and Stein. So anyway, so that's, we want to congratulate you guys once again. <laughs> for graduating and I'm going to take this off now if I possibly can so well it's been a fun 10 weeks it's been a fast 10 weeks um, and uh, we have really appreciated you guys being here um, tonight we're in session 11 how do I make the most of the rest of my life where do I go from here this has been a great 10 weeks I know that I've, I've heard from you guys I've heard from your table hosts I've heard you uh, talk about how this has been effective to you. And that, can I tell you how grateful we are to each and every one of you? I mean, thank each and every one of you for trusting us and allowing us to be a part of your lives and allowing us to, to walk alongside you and open the Bible with you and for us to discover more the, the depths of the riches of God's revelation of himself through, through his word. And... Um, so tonight when we talk about how do I make the most of the rest of my life, you know, it kind of, we kind of start back where we were at the beginning. Um, we started with this question first week. Is there more to life than this? That was session one. Is there more to life than this? And we looked at the lives of so many people who apparently had the world by the tail, but were still empty. We're still feeling that gnawing sensation. That there's got to be more. Uh, it's that in every man and woman, there's a God-shaped void only filled by Jesus Christ. Um, and so we asked that question, is there more to life than this? And we started asking questions about how many of us grew up reading or studying the Bible? And very few of us, we see, really had that experience. As I told you, I didn't even know what a Bible was until I walked onto the campus of Louisiana State University and somebody handed me a Bible and I began to through some friends in my fraternity, began to read and find out what the Bible actually had to say about me. And so those were, those were some great beginning days for me. Um, and then we asked question, how many of us believe there's something on the other side of our last heartbeat that's going to last forever? We asked, we asked that question, and though very few of us had really ever written, read the Bible, we actually believed that there's something on the other side of our last heartbeat that was going to be good, but we had no basis of that other than our own meology. And we introduced meology into the Alpha Course. And I know I, I use that because it makes a lot of sense to us in terms of basically piecing together our own sense of spirituality our own sense of religion, our own sense of how we can have peace with God or God can have peace with us or that we can understand or try to make sense of something that is so big. We found out, I think, through the 10 weeks of Alpha that God is bigger than we could imagine he is. We found out that God's word, or, word expresses more about himself than we ever could have imagined. It tells us things about us that are difficult for us to hear but essential for us to hear. 
Because if we don't know those things, we won't know how to make the most of the rest of our life, our lives. If we don't know that it was essential for Jesus Christ to come and die on a cross for me so that my sins would be forgiven, so that I could be brought to God, so that my line in the dash, my life in the dash would make sense and my life in the line would be forever with God. I would actually have no way of knowing what my the rest of my life would be it would simply be me just reaching for the next thing that i possibly can and then of course here comes medicare at 65 i may be able to save a little money there but what comes after that here comes social security but then what is that what we call life is that really what we call life just living long enough to get social security just living long enough to make enough money you know my my uh my spiritual dad, before he came to Christ, said, I just wanted to make uh, enough money to tell the world to go to hell. He said, I had my go to hell money. Nobody could tell me anything. I made so much money, it didn't matter what anybody thought. But then he realized, even when he had what he thought he needed, he was as empty as he was ever. The amount of money in his bank account did not enlarge his ability to make any more of his life. Oh, he could buy more stuff. But it made his life just more full of stuff. But his life was just as empty. Only God, our creator, can fill our lives. Only he can allow us and give us insight to make the most of the rest of our lives. And we talked about, I introduced you to the dash and the line. And you guys have been, I think, so. you guys got your little tape measure tonight. Um, that life in the dash is very short, that physical life, but that t which takes place on the other side of our last heartbeat lasts forever. And why do we spend so much time trying to figure out this very short time and spend so little time, if any, actually critically thinking about where am I going to spend the other side of my last heartbeat forever? These are things that we just don't stop and pause to think about. And I am so grateful, privileged, we are here at Lafayette, so privileged that you've given us that opportunity that we can just pause together and open, and open God's word and say, this is how we make the most of the rest of our lives. First, by getting a new life. First, by allowing Christ to give us his life. And those things are so very important. It was C.S. Lewis, we've talked about C.S. Lewis through the through our time together. And there's some quotes from Lewis that I wanted to introduce us tonight to um, because they really speak to uh, this issue of living life in the dash and in the line. And this is one of uh, Lewis's statements. He says, we all want progress, right? Of course we do. But if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. Make sense? In that case, the man or the woman who turns back soonest is the most progressive. That, did you hear that? We all want to make progress, but what if I'm progressing in the wrong direction? What if my 401k is increasing, but my relationships with others is decreasing? What if my prestige in the, in the light of other individuals has people looking for me or intrigued by me or impressed by me? But I'm progressing in a road that's eventually going to be a dead end. 
what does that profit? The one who turns around as quickly as possible begins to understand that God has abundance for us in, in the dash as well as what you and I can't even begin to imagine in, in the line. And so this is one of the statements I think is so important by Lewis. He himself, an atheist, until God opened his eyes to himself. This is what Lewis said. He said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. In other words, what he's saying is this. Aim at the dash. Pardon me. Aim at, aim at the line and you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth alone, you'll get neither. If you're just living for the moment, the moment will be gone before you and I know it. And many of us know that. So aim at heaven. I, I would argue that the only way to make sense of the dash is to understand your place in the line or your place in line. It's the only way. If the Bible's true, that's what the scripture teaches us. Here's another quote. I got two more from him because I just love these. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world, okay, which no experience in this world, in the dash, can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, okay? If I find, myself in, a, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world, in the dash, okay, in the dash, in this physical, brief physical life, an experience nothing, nothing can satisfy from this world. The most probable explanation, if I've got it all, but I still don't feel like I've got it all. It may just be, it may just be that what is said in this word is true. I was not made ultimately for this world. I was made for the line. I was made to live in the line forever. I wasn't just made for a few moments in time. And if I'm famous enough, I get my name on a street sign or a bridge. Not, not putting those things down, but if your name's on a street sign, where are you? Where are you? Last quote. He who plans for this life, but fails to plan for the next, is wise for the moment, but foolish forever. I don't know that there could be a much more poignant statement that Lewis could give us. If you, you plan for this life only, but you fail to plan for the next life, you're wise for a moment. You can accomplish some pretty interesting things. But what about forever. Have you thought about that? I think that's why this little analogy here of the dash, physical life, and the line is so important for you and I to pay, to pay attention to. It's a vapor. King Solomon, who had considered the wisest man that ever walked the earth, one of the richest men, he said it's just a vapor. He said it's meaningless. It's striving after the wind. Christ came. He said, I came to give you what you could not give yourself. I came to give you abundance, even though there's difficulty in the dash. And something on the other side of your last heartbeat that you cannot even begin to imagine. How could I even begin to know that that's true if not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He, he corroborates 
he puts a seal on what he says by what he accomplished for us. And then what you and I have experienced through these 10 weeks of Alpha, as you, many of you have responded to that, you have sensed a difference inside of you. You have sensed a peace that you've never experienced before. That's not the food doing that to you. There's, we haven't, we've seasoned the food, but not to that degree. Um, th- those are, those, that is a work of God's spirit. It's a supernatural, subjective work of God's spirit that he intimately does in each and every one of us. Why? So that we can make the most of the rest of our lives now taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. Being born or born again is just the, it's just the beginning. See, and, and, and so here, let's just, a quote from Jesus real quickly. For what does it profit a man? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If he's Bill Gates, well, maybe, maybe not now. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, well, never mind. Um, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, would you swap 60 years for eternity, would you do that? Would you take six cents if I said, I'll give you six million dollars? Six cents or six million, what would you prefer? This is the six cents. This is the six million. Jesus says, I'll give you the six million and the six cents, but please don't forfeit your soul. Be successful in this world, have goals. Make a difference while you're here on the planet. But you don't do it so you make a name for yourself. That's all we have in Adam. In Christ, we get to make a difference in the world in a way that will, that will go beyond the dash. I want to be that man. But I only want to be that man because I know that's Christ working in me to be that man. And as much as he will give me the opportunity, I'm defining making the most of the rest of my life by knowing Jesus as deeply as I can and making him known as much as I can. That's what I get to take with me. That's what you get to take with you. That's how we make the most of the rest of our lives. And that's the offer that Christ gives to all of us. And as I was saying, you know, most of us have just been born. Um... Uh, as strange as that sounds, but we've been given new life. We've been birthed into a new family. And though we're maybe naturally mature and educated in many ways, spiritually, you know, many are just newborn. I I had the joy, the absolute joy of sitting with a man at at a coffee shop yesterday. And he's a 55-year-old. I I never thought I'd say that was a young man, but uh, a 55-year-old man. And, uh, He just has given his life to Christ. You can see, I've seen the change in this man over the course of just the the two months, three months at the most that I've known him. And and he's got his questions. I mean, he is like a little boy. He says, can you answer this? Can we answer that? And just, he, he was giddy. He was excited about knowing more about God and God's word. And, uh, it, it's exciting, but it's also scary. To know Christ is exciting. To know Christ it can be scary because it's like, how's my family going to respond to this? 
I grew up this way. Now I'm saying, yes, I'm, I'm not, not this, but I'm, I'm so much more than that now. How, how's my family going to respond to that? Well, the importance of, and how we make the most of the rest of our lives is by the more we get to be with Jesus and spend time with him and with others and spend time with, with uh, his word and praying, the more confident and the more mature we grow. As we grow physically and we mature physically, the more we take in spiritual nutrition, the things that, that are important and essential for spiritual growth, those things give us strong spiritual bones. In the midst of a world that is antagonistic and growingly antagonistic toward the things of God. So, you know, there's something in that said uh, many years ago, and I, 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 I keep this in every alpha because I think it's just that important, that has stuck with me, and I believe it's true, and I think it helps. It's helped so many folks understand this because there, there's, this, there's this kind of a high. I experienced this high. Maybe you have experienced this high as, as well when you came to Christ. It, you came by faith, but, man, the feelings came in with them. They were tears of joy or laughter or a sense of, man, I just feel like, a 20,000-pound weight has been taken off of me. I, I, I can't explain it. And so with the faith that God gives us a gift to surrender to Christ, to receive the gift, to get in the wheelbarrow, say I do, comes feelings that uh, are so exciting and joyful. Um, and so this is, this is what my girl said. She said, when we first surrender our lives to Christ, we walk by feel. We come by faith, but we walk by feel. I'll never forget, forget a, a young lady. Um, she, had, she had gotten in the wheelbarrow, and she said, I don't want these feelings to ever go away. And so she just kept praying that little prayer over and over again, like she was plugging herself back in. It's like, no, no, no. I want you to understand, the feelings have to go away. So let me, sorry, I'm, I'm so guilty of doing this. I never finished the statement. When we first surrender our lives to Christ, we walk by feel. Then, as we mature in him, we start to walk by faith. Now, I, I hope that makes sense. See, so what happens is we come to Christ, faith and feelings. God gives those feelings. It's, it's different for everyone. I mean, some people see fireworks, some... You can, you can maybe talk to tonight at your table. What was it like? What did you experience? Um, some it may be more mellow. But as the feelings go down, this is what has a tendency of happening. As the feelings begin to subside, and that's a gift of God because he wants us to walk by faith. As the feelings begin to subside, guess what happens to our faith? Our feelings kind of hook on to our faith and try to drag our faith down. Ah, I must not have meant it. I need to pray that prayer again. I need to do this. Uh, what did I do wrong? Uh, maybe it didn't stick. Uh, all those things. Um, can I encourage you? Those are lies. Those are lies. They're lies that may come from the enemy. We talked about in week seven, how can I resist evil? Well, a way to resist evil is not to let your faith get dragged down by your feelings. Let your faith do this. And whether the feelings come or not, our faith needs to be there. My faith needs to be there. 45 years and a month or so, as a follower of Jesus, I still need to be there. I need to let my faith drive me. I need to walk, as Paul said, by faith and not by 
sight. That doesn't mean that God doesn't give us sight. doesn't mean that God doesn't give us evidence. But I want to walk by faith. I want to grow in him. And so thank God for feelings. I'm so grateful for feelings. He wouldn't have given us feelings if he didn't want us to experience those feelings. But those are not the engine that drives us. Faith drives us. I make the most of the rest of my life by remembering faith is the engine. God-given, Holy Spirit-given faith drives me, not my feelings. It's not supposed to be that way. The, fa- the feelings, they would be the caboose. The faith would be the, the engine. So the fact that feelings wane is a gift from God. I mean, there are growing pains. Growing pains hurt. Uh, but they are a sign of growth, are they not? Growing pains are a sign of growth. And uh, look, I mean, I can remember when our little one, our little ones, I should say, and even our grandchildren now, they, you know, they're, they start to get near around one year old and they start pulling themselves up on the coffee table, right? And that's when everything low needs to get high if you value anything in your house. And, uh, and they begin, they, 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 you know, they crumb up and all of a sudden they turn away from the table, right? And they take one step and then crumple to the ground. Well, what do you do then? Do you scream at them? Malign them for being such a failure? Uh, I hope not. Uh, no, you encourage them. You encourage them. You Come on. That's what, and that's what God does by his spirit. He, he encourages us because we're going to fall over and over and over and over and over again. I, like, I've, been a, like I said, I've been a Christian for 45 years. I think I stopped sinning somewhere in 1994, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> nonsense. I was 19 when the Lord opened my eyes to him. I am confident I have sinned a billion times more since having received Christ. But I don't make the most of the rest of my life focusing on all the ways in which I've failed. That's meology. I'm letting meology slip into the truth of the gospel. I cannot, must not do that. I need to tell Satan where to go when he tells me that. He's going there already, so you might as well just give him a heads up. So, um, so we, we grow by faith, and we grow by Knowing God's word. So here's what Paul writes to the church in Rome. The church is in Rome. He says, faith comes, all right? Faith shows up. Faith arrives. Faith comes by hearing or from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Okay, so faith shows up by hearing the word of Christ. So the more I hear the word of Christ, the more I ingest and ingest God's word, what happens? Faith is growing. I'm beginning to look spiritually muscular. I'm not looking like... A guy, you know, that's a 40-pound, 100-pound, 140-pound weakling on the beach. I'm starting to look like a, a spiritual Schwarzenegger. Okay, so I don't know where these things come from. So uh, not today. Have you seen him lately? It's just, it's, again, that's a perfect example. Um, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Well, but not only that, knowing Christ comes from hearing and knowing Christ and growing in Christ comes by the word of Christ. Trusting comes from hearing and trusting grows by hearing the word of Christ. Falling more deeply in love with God 
comes from hearing the word of Christ. Strength to endure difficulties. Strength to endure painful times comes from hearing. And strength grows by the word of Christ. And understanding comes. And understanding grows by hearing the word of Christ. So should it be any, should it be any surprise to any of us that the enemy... Evil would want to keep me out of the very thing that God says, coupled by faith, will cause me to grow in faith, in knowing him, in trusting him, in falling in love with him, and being strengthened by him, and understanding him. Should that be of any surprise to us, that we're encouraged to stay away from the very source of energy, God revealing himself through his word? They're not the words. It's not the words on the page. Reading them... It's not the way in which I make the most of the rest of my life if I just do that as an academic exercise. I took in college, the Bible is literature. Anybody take that? The Bible is literature? And, but I wasn't taking the Bible as life. I was taking the Bible as literature and getting an A because I heard it was an easy A. I think I got a C. But anyway, um, but th this is what we need to know. We make the most of the rest of our lives. By being in this word, and not just being in this word by myself, by being in this word with others. Like Peggy says, let me tell you what God showed me today. Connie says, I never knew that. Todd, can I read this to you? This, this has just got me so lit. And we just, together, we grow together. As we talked about last week, what about the church? I mean, do you see how all these things fit and are fitting together. Faith, all these things grow together. And so Paul tells us what the way in which we continue to grow in, is realizing, one, we're just beginning. Annette and I are 45 years into Christ. I'm just beginning. i got to tell you, it's just beginning. Just beginning. There's so much more of him. There's so much more of him. Um, so what do we do now? Well, here, here's what Paul wrote to the Romans. And I need, to, I need to hurry. So Paul writes this to the Romans, the church in Rome. I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of or because of God's mercies, not your works, I urge you because of God's mercies to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So let me just unpack this just a little bit real quick for us. So again, he urges us, all those who are in Christ. This is what he's saying. Hey, you guys, you gals, in Christ. I urge you, because of God placing you into Christ by his mercy, you had nothing to do with that in terms of your goodness, what you contributed. God did that for you. And you responded because of God's goodness to you, by God giving you the gift of grace and gift of faith, rather, to respond. Present your bodies or present your beings. Now think about this, because this is what God is saying to each and every one of us. I want you to present yourself to me living now, that doesn't mean you have a heartbeat. That means you're no longer dead in your sins. You're in Christ. You're alive in Christ. Alive to Christ. And 
holy. So a living and holy sacrifice. See, in the Jewish system, they would present lambs and they would sacrifice lambs. What God is saying here, I now have made you my living and holy sacrifice. I want you to present yourself to me and to continue to present yourself to me and continue to be with me. You're living, you're holy, you're acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. What is God saying here? What is God saying through the Apostle Paul? What he's saying is your spiritual service is not first doing stuff for God so you feel better about yourself. You don't make the, rest, the most of the rest of your life. I don't make the most of the rest of my life trying to defend my reason to exist by doing spiritual things, by, by doing Alpha. I hope God has been very impressed with me, this Alpha. I truly hope that he has added a few square feet to my mansion. Now, that, that's nonsense. That's, but but those are the, that's the fruitfulness of, of knowing him. That's the fruitfulness. The, the spiritual service of worship is first presenting myself to him. In other words, let me give you a, a less to present your bodies. I urge you, in view of God's mercies, to hang out with God. Be with him. He wants to be with you. I make the most of the rest of my life by taking those moments to be with him, to get to know him, to be more concerned about knowing him than others knowing me, to be more concerned about knowing him than whatever I could even do in his name. Because knowing him begets wanting others to know him. Begets gratefulness and therefore a life that looks like Christ's life looked. He says, and don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. You're not in this world anymore. This is not who you are. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know God's will, his good will. His acceptable will, his perfect will for your life, for my life. He wants us to know that. What's he telling me? That the new life that God has given me has its source from living life toward him, to living life with him, and to living life with others with him. Hey, the, I make the most of the rest of my life through this, I think, universal truth. The more I know him, the more I'm knowing him, the more I will be trusting him, the more I will be loving him, the more I will be serving him. So that's so important for you and me to see. And here's what's so cool. The more my life is planted, the more my life is planted in knowing him, the more God transforms me to delight in having a fruitful life that is dependent upon him. And understand this, growth is organic. Um, it takes time. It takes attention. It takes, I'm not into gardening. My wife is into gardening. It takes a lot of time. If you're into gardening, you know. It takes time. It takes attention. Uh, and it's slow growth. It's typically slow growth. And that's so true of relationships. That they, they grow, but it's not, it's, sometimes you just hit it off with that person. But a lot of times it maybe takes a little while to get to know that person and get to know their story. They get to know your story and that growth takes place. So here's what, here's what Paul said about that in terms of being planted. Because 
Because the challenge, again, the challenge to making the most of the rest of my life is by my saying, I'm just not getting it, or I'm just not growing fast enough, or if I had really surrendered to Christ, this would be happening by now. Please, I I, want to encourage you to be careful what you're listening to. God, God is the one that drew him to himself. God is the one who is then responsible for our growth, and certainly we do cooperate, and we must cooperate with him. Here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, do you see this? Rooted and grounded in love, or rooted and grounded, here's love, in Christ, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love, look at this, that surpasses knowledge. Can you know something that surpasses knowledge? That sounds weird. What he's saying here, you can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, to know this love, that is Christ, that surpasses your natural ability to know something. In other words, the awareness of and the certainty of this love and this knowledge of this love is greater than my natural ability to understand it. I can tell you that's true. And many in this room can tell you that's true. Beyond my ability to know naturally how deep God's love is, there's something inside of me, it's the Holy Spirit, that makes me know. And it surpasses my natural ability to know or understand. Why? So that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Can I tell you this? Religion, meological religion tells you God is stingy, he is selfish, he's holding out on you. Sounds like a story back in the garden. The truth of the gospel is that God gave Christ to lavish upon us and to show us how immeasurably generous he is. And how much he wants you and me to know that. I can't make the most of the rest of my life thinking God is stingy, jealous, not jealous, stingy, holding out on me, selfish. Waiting for me to make a mistake so he can just bat me. That's meology. He is more generous, more merciful, more gracious, more giving, more generous, more loving, more compassionate, more desirous of you and me than our collective brains in this room together times infinity can even begin to grasp. That's how he feels about you. That's how he feels about you. And he wants us to know that above everything else. Our religious sticking points have got to be WD-40 to weigh. They got to go. They got to go. Then Paul wrote this to uh, to the Colossians. That we should be bearing fruit in good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here's the serving part. I'm bearing fruit. I'm knowing him. I'm trusting him. I'm loving him. I'm serving him. That the serving bears fruit. And I'm increasing when I do that. I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay. Uh, Annette and I can grow as a couple only as we speak together, think together, reason together, and work together. 
And as we do that, we bear fruit. Our marriage bears fruit. It bears fruit in the terms of children. It bears fruit in the terms of the lives that she and I get to touch as uh, touch with other in, in the lives of other couples. And there's nothing more exhilarating than that. There really isn't. There really is not. Bearing fruit in every good work. And therefore, increase this not bearing fruit, one, increasing in the knowledge of God, two. It's bearing in fruit in every good work. And the result is, it comes with the package. I increase in knowing who God is. So, so I, want, I want us to do something here because God calls us to examine ourselves. He still calls us to examine ourselves for the, capa- for the capability of living a fruitful life in Christ. Um, I wanted to do this. If you've got your Alpha Bibles with you, I want, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Let's turn to page 930. I want to read tonight real quickly because I am... I'm rapidly running out of time. And, and maybe this is something you guys can spend a little bit more time at your tables. But if not, come to Beta and we will go over this scripture in the Gospel of Mark. That was an interesting segue. Um, Mark chapter 4. Now, let, before you, before you, you're uh, going to start in the first verse, but I want to show you this. This is called the parable of the sower. I, it could be called the parable of the soils. But here's what we see. We, Jesus talks about four soils. He talks about, a, and he talks about seed that a, a seed sower throws on the ground. All right, so look up here for just a minute. And I'll show you these four seeds. One, there's seed that fell by the roadside that the sower sowed. There's seed that the sower sowed that fell into shallow soil just off the roadside. There's seed that grows up among weeds. And then there's seed that falls into fertile soil and grows and, and bears and reaps a harvest. So it says here that verse, four, verse 1 of chapter 4, And again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen! Okay, I'm going to listen now because he said, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some feet along the path. Some seed fell along the path and the birds came and they ate it up. They devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky soil where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched and, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him, let her hear. And when he was alone, verse 10, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Like a parable is just a story. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should, be turned, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand the parable? 
How then will you understand all the parables? The sower, so here's Jesus explaining the word. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. See, Jesus here is, is talking about four different hearts, if you will. A heart that is stone, cold, hard, and non-receptive. I don't think that person's here tonight. You wouldn't have made it through 10 weeks. Unless the food, you just, you're starving to death. Um, I don't think you're just going to make it through this. <laughs> and I, I don't say that to be sarcastic or cynical at all. Um, but that, that, that's the seed of God's word falls and it hits a hard heart, and it's immediately taken away. The seed that fell into shallow soil is, man, maybe, maybe you've been here, and this sounds good. You've enjoyed this. This is kind of connecting with you. But if you don't do anything with this, in a few short weeks, you'll have a T-shirt, or you'll be eating the only breakfast food you have in your pantry. But the power of this will quickly shrivel up because of tribulation and it will be gone. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. And guess what? Jesus would not have warned us had this not been essential for us to hear so you hear it, you hear it with joy. This is, I've never heard anything like this before. This, this is amazing. But come July, it's a distant memory. I hope that that's not true of any of us. Then there's seed that grows up among weeds. Good soil. That, that seed goes down into good soil, a good heart receiving it. And it starts to come up. It germinates. It starts to come up out of the soil. But Jesus says, along with it, there are lots of weeds. And the weeds are in there, and they are stealing the nutrition from the soil, from the heart, so that the fruit is choked out. There is no fruitfulness because of the weeds. And the weeds, Jesus says, are the worries of the world. I've got a few of those. The deceitfulness of riches. Uh-huh. And cares about so many other things so that it becomes unfruitful. I don't want that either. And I don't believe you do either. And then there's the seed that grows in fertile soil. Seed that grows in fertile soil. That heart is ready for the seed, the gospel, the word. The seed is the word of God and it gets planted and it comes up and it 
it has the capacity, it's so rich, so much fruit is being born that it's, that fruit is being tasted by others and nourishing others and enriching others. But guess what you're still having to do? Here come the weeds and there is that constant weed. Does anybody garden? You know, I'm confident that when I get good soil, it comes with weeds. And so there's this constant work of being on the alert. And so Jesus gives us that picture of four soils because he wants us to be aware that if we're going to make the most of the rest of our lives, our hearts need to be persistently weeded, consistently weeded because the worries of the world and are they not just multiplying in front of our eyes? The deceitfulness of riches and cares for so many other things can choke out what I know to be true about God if I'm not allowing myself to be nourished by... I mean, this is, this is a great roundup, okay? This will round up the worst of weeds if we allow God's Word to do that. And so we need that, and we need others. When I don't have the strength to pick weeds, when I don't see weeds, you know the way I make the rest of the... Mo the the most of the rest of my life is when Todd comes from across the street and says, Frank, I wanted to talk to you about something that kind of concerns me. Um, and it's not the weeds in my grass, which are horrific and embarrassing. Um, he wants to talk about a weed in my heart, and he loves me enough to talk about something I may not even see that he sees. And I need to welcome him to grab that, that weed or weeds out by the roots so the fruitfulness will not be dissipated or diminished. We need, we need one another there. Okay, I am rapidly running out of time. Um, so, um, I, want to, I want to introduce just a, a four things. Tonight we have uh, a couple little things on your table. One is a little bookmark that we hope you'll take with you, but I, I don't want you to get caught up in that yet. Um, as much as I want to introduce you to those things. Ken Boa, who's a, a dear, dear brother, teacher of the Word of God, written more books than I've read, probably. Um, he, he has this thing where he just says, you know, a way in which we make the most of the rest of our lives is by doing a couple of things. And one thing is remembering and rehearsing. And this is something I would encourage you to put in your Bible and remember this thing. One... There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. All of our efforts before God fall short of his character and righteousness. We have to remember that. That our efforts do not make God think any more highly of us or lowly of us. And this is, that, this is the next one. Just as none of our actions will make God love us more. Do you believe that? See, meologists cannot believe that. Just as our actions... Will make God, just as none of our actions will make God love us more, it is equally true that there is nothing we can think, say, or do to make God love us less than he does. His love for us is constantly at the ultimate and optimal level. That's two. Here, number three. Growth in our relationship with God is not accomplished by our own attempts to create meaning and purpose. Our responsibility is to walk in the power of the Spirit and not in dependence on our own efforts. I need God to teach me the difference. I'm going to make the most of the rest of my life as I say, Lord, 
show me the difference between my efforts and your effort. I, I, I need your spirit to show me that. Okay, Frank, um, grab my word, spend some time with me, and let's talk about that. And then talk to a few other people about that. I need to know the difference, and I can't know the difference without his spirit telling me that. And he, guess what? He's not holding out on us. He wants us to know that. Fourth one, our focus should not be deeds and actions, but on a relationship, not on a product, not on what you and I are producing of immense value, but on a person, the person, who means more to us than anyone ever could or should, and we mean more to him. In this world, in this Adamic world, our focus is so often on what we accomplish. It's so... And again, I said, I think we should be the best engineers. I think we should be the best moms and dads and accountants and salespeople and students and teachers. I, I do believe that. But not so that people will look at me and see, wow, that girl, she is an amazing student. Yeah, but not for the purpose of being seen as an amazing student, but for the purpose that God would be seen in me, that if I'm anything, it's he who has worked in me, the discipline, the gifting, to be able to do those things. One more thing, and I'm just, I'm just going to stop. I've got probably 10 more pages of notes here. Um, actually, I, it's not quite that many, but here's another Boa quote. I love this quote. That's why I can't get away from this quote. This is a great quote from another Boa quote from, from his little magazine. He said, the world, those in Adam, okay, the dashers, <laughs> the dashers, that's, I've never said that before. Um, <laughs> the world defines who we are by what we do, Right? You're only as good as your last accomplishment. But the word of God, the ones in Christ, centers on who we are in Christ and tells us to express that new identity in what we do. Do you see the difference? Being and doing are interrelated, but the biblical order is critical. What we do what we do should flow out of who we are, not the other way around. I hear this. Otherwise, our worth and identity are determined by achievements and accomplishments. And when we stop performing, we cease to be valuable. Can I tell you what a lie that is? that our performance equals our value. It may be to people, but it does not at all equal that to God. I make the most of the rest of my life by knowing that. You know, the same God that said to Adam and asks you and me, remember, Adam, where are you? Well, in the garden, he went to Adam asking, Adam, where are you? Did he not know where Adam was? <laughs> of course he did. But he wanted to know if Adam was going to fess up to where he was and the mess that he was going to create. Not just for himself, but for all of us. 
And what did God do when he found out or Adam revealed where he was? What did he do? He drew Adam to himself. That was a long time ago in the garden. But in 2021, does God know where you are? What you have done, the mess you've made of your life. Of course he does. And what has God done in New Orleans? The same thing he did with Adam. He came looking for you. Amazing. The same God that said to Adam and asked you and me, where are you, is the same one in Jesus who says, I know where you are. And I've come looking for you. Now come to me. Because here's the thing. If you and I don't come to Christ, you know what we're doing? We're coming to somebody. Was it Bob Dylan's song? You're going to serve somebody? You're going to serve somebody. The only one that has made a promise in the dash and in the line is the only one who's defeated death and the grave. Not just for himself but for every one of us. And he wants us to know that. Where are you? Jesus says, come to me. Um, Because if not Jesus, when you think about this, if not Jesus, who? Really? Anybody made you a better offer? Anybody offer you life abundantly in the dash and in the line? And I think that's where... And I just want to encourage you guys as as we close here, just to continue somehow. Find a a Bible study at the church where you're going. Come to Beta, but do not, please, do not put on the brakes after these 10 weeks. Continue to grow. Remember, I do is just the beginning of a lifelong and eternity-long relationship with the one who came for us that we would have life and have it in the midst of a falling wor- fallen world abundantly. So let's pray and uh, we will take a break. Um, Lord, thank you for, for these weeks that you have given us together. I thank you for new friends. I thank you for new brothers and sisters. Thank you for the privilege of and the joy of knowing you. And Lord, how we pray for one another right now that we will continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. You're the one that drew us here. You're the one that opened our eyes to see. There may have been people talking, but it was you bringing revelation. It was you. It was all you. And how we pray tonight for one another that we will be, our hearts will be soil that is good, fertile, weed-free soil that will grow up and reap a harvest of joy for you and for others until that day. Our heart stops, and we're with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Well, thank you all so much. It has been an incredible 10 weeks with you. We hope to see you, Lord willing, 1030 Sunday morning on the other side of this wall here. Yes, ma'am. I think there's some registration on there, but no, you don't have registration. Okay, I'll get you registration. Most of the tables have registration. I have that for you. So anyway, we're great, so grateful for you guys. Let's take a quick break, and, um, and we'll get together for one more time.